Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have got a great show today because we are going to be talking to Greg Adams, who is a friend of ours from ADAC. ADAC, for everybody who doesn't know, is the Association of Deaf Educators and Counselors, and they have a big conference once a year, and Heidi and I love it and go and meet wonderful people like Greg. And uh, we're going to be talking today about good morning, and what does that mean? Hey, Heidi, you want to introduce our guest? I would love to. Um, our guest today is Greg Adams, and Greg is no stranger to loss. Over his lifetime, and mainly within the last 20 years, Mom, he has lost his father-in-law, he lost a child mid-pregnancy, and he's lost both of his parents, all in different ways. So he really talks the talk and walks the walk and knows what he's talking about. Um, Greg is also a program coordinator for the Center for Good Morning. He works at the Arkansas Children's Hospital, and he is a, an adjunct professor at the University of Arkansas and Chair of Credentialing Council for ADAC. So he wears a lot of different hats professionally and, like I said, has also had a lot of losses personally. So welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. I'm really glad to be with you all. It's great to have you on, and I love you as one of our Open to Hope writers because Heidi and I were saying we want to focus today on some of your articles because they're such great topics and have you covered them. First of all, I want to ask you, the center that you're head of is Good Morning, right? Yeah. And what's Good Morning? What does that mean to you? How did, how did people come up with that name? Well, then I'll have to give my wife credit for that. For years ago, we uh, back in the early 90s, we were working here at the hospital trying to develop a program for kids who are grieving because we didn't have anything like that in our area. And we would get calls from parents or school counselors or teachers, and we didn't have anything to offer to them. Or we would have children die at our hospital, and we would give the parents information about adult grief support groups, but there were no similar groups for kids. So we did some checking around the country and, and looked at ways different people did it and, and found some ideas we thought we could, could do. Um, actually connected with uh, one of the ADEC members, of Ben Wolf, I don't know if you mean yes, yes sure. so Ben on, was a great help. The, we serve on the TAPS advisory board with Ben. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so Ben came down to us a couple of times, and um, then we started that program, and we needed the name for it. And um, and my wife came up. She thought, why don't we call it the Good Morning Program? And we liked the the feel for it in, in a couple of ways. One is the idea that there's ways to do morning that are really helpful mm -hmm. and can move us toward a better place. And the other is that, that image of that there's some light at the end of a dark time. And, and so we've stayed with that. And then when we, um, about 17 years ago, we built on those grief support groups to try to do more in the community and more in our hospital. And then we started call it a, calling it a center because the Good Morning program, which was really the grief support groups, you know, didn't have a big enough title to handle the different kind of things we were trying to do. Wonderful. Well, you have written some wonderful articles for Open to Hope, and Heidi and I wanted to give our audience a little flavor of some of the things that you've talked about. And I wanted to start with one, Heidi, uh, strong back, soft front, staying open to emotion. How do we do that? Yeah, you know, that was, that was an idea I really liked. That was a that I heard first described at the ADEC conference last year, and it put some language to an idea that 
really fit some of the things that I had experienced, both personally and professionally, that uh, too often I think we think about strength as being hard on the outside, and, and which is really just a kind of a stoicism protecting a, a, our tender parts on the inside. But that works for the short term, but it's pretty lousy um, strategy for the long term because mm -hmm. you pay a high price for that. And, um, and I had thought years ago about that idea that for most of us, you know, the harder parts of us, the st stronger part that hold us up is, is on the inside. It's, you know, our, where our bones hold us up, but on the outside, we can be flexible. We can tense our muscles and do the hard work, or we can relax and be so soft and sensitive and feel for, with others. And so that idea of that soft front, strong back just really seemed to capture both of those feelings that, um, we don't have to go from one end where if, if we get stressed or something terrible happens to us that we have to be so strong that we don't feel it and, exp and uh, feel it and let those feelings come through or we don't have to let them come through and just be a puddle on the floor and not be able to do anything. Because we've, at least I, what I've seen, I expect everybody who's worked with grieving people has seen is you know, some of the strongest people are the people who feel what there is to feel but do what they need to do. And it's oh, not I love that. You know, not the feel people. what you need to feel and do what you need to do. I love it, don't you, Hyde? Yeah. I do, absolutely. There, there's, it takes a lot of courage to, to be in an emotional space oftentimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, especially, I think, for men, because I think men are given a lot of messages. Suck it off, walk it, you know, suck it up and walk it off, and real men don't cry and all those other things. Yes, and it's a terrible price to pay. It keeps them, you know, from, from what they're feeling and it doesn't help them be very healthy and it ends up putting up walls between them and other people. Mm -hmm. And what about closure? Yes. I love that article that you wrote. Well, thank you. I, you know, it, you're, for years and I'm sure again, other people have heard this too. People will talk about closure and they'll say, you know, yeah. did you find closure at the funeral or you'll hear it in the media, you know, that this particular act will help people to find closure, but mm -hmm. it, it all just seems to be, um, to me, a, a false promise because there's not a way that you can find closure where you can close the book and, and put it away, which is the image that comes to me when people talk about closure. Because if you have a really big loss in your life, then, then the, the story's never over. The story will continue to change. And maybe if we use that book metaphor, that idea of you, you turn the page or you start a new chapter, but anybody who's a book person knows that everything that happened in, early in the story continues to affect the rest of the story. And so that, I think that term closure for the most part, the way people understand it is, is not a very helpful term at all. Well, I like what you're saying, Greg. And you know, Bob Niemeyer, Dr. Bob Niemeyer says something that I really like. He says, closure is for bank accounts, not love accounts. I like that too. I love that. And the thing about it is I don't, we don't want to have, I don't want to get over my brother. I want to learn to live with him in a new and different way. Yeah. So I don't want to close him out of my life. I want to continue with him in my life. But now he has to be in my life, in my memories, in my thoughts, and the fact that in my work I pay tribute to him by doing what I do today. Yeah. You know, I think that that idea of it connects to me, that I language of letting go, where too often people talk about letting a person go, which is really not reality for us who, like you with your brother or me with people I have lost or anyone else, that that we don't let the person go. We, we let that old relationship with them go because that relationship doesn't work anymore because that relied on them being physically around us and, and present. Mm 
-hmm. but it doesn't mean we don't have a relationship, but we have to figure out a new one. And the encouraging thing to me when I think about that is that when the, when I think about families I've worked with or my own self is that most of us have a lot of practice at doing that. You know, we do that with our kids. You know, we, we have to let the old relationship go when they were preschoolers to let them grow up. And when they become young adults from teenagers and we, we do that all the time with our own parents, when our parents start to need us more than we depend on them. So we have to let that old relationship go for a new one or it just doesn't work. Right. That's interesting because I'm also thinking about, um, letting the dream go. It's been many years since Scott died. And I do think of how old he would be now. Yeah. And, you know, so I have moved on somewhat in my grief also in, into a letting go mm -hmm. you know, of, of the things that I guess we might call it the dream. Well, what about guilt during grief? I know you've written about that. But I thank you. I, I've seen a lot of people and, you know, hung up with that because it's such a difficult thing. Um, people feel guilty and because they feel responsible. And I think parents, especially at least in my experience, Gloria, working at the, here at the mm -hmm. hospital, I was really struck with that when I worked with parents who had children with seriously ill and who died, that how often they felt grief or guilt, even though they had nothing to do with the death. They, they couldn't have prevented it. It was an accident outside of their control or an illness that they had did nothing to cause. But there's that feeling of, you know, was there something I could have done? And um, one thing that uh, Jack Jordan talks about that I really resonate with around people who are dealing with suicide loss is that idea that you have to put yourselves on trial sometimes, but it needs to be a fair trial. Uh -huh. um, and I really like that, that idea. But I think that when people are, are, are wrestling with guilt, it seems to me there's at least three things, probably more, but at least three things that people can do that are helpful. You know, one is that you put yourself on that fair trial and you figure out, you know what? I did the best I could. I, I used what I had and and I really don't deserve to be punished for this. I don't deserve to punish myself for this. And um, and so sometimes we can let ourselves off the hook in part or maybe even in, in whole. And then sometimes we can't. We And I think that sometimes people then say um, they try to pay restitution to the world. I, you know, I can't help this. I can't go back and change this, but maybe I can do something good in the world. And, um, and I think that some people usually use that in a therapeutic way if they can avoid the pitfall of, of thinking that they're going to pay for, you know, their pay their debt and sub by suffering, you know, that that's who I'm going to pay my debt is by suffering, which is a really a lousy way because that doesn't help you know, help the world is to honor somebody's life by not living a full life. Well, well, mm -hmm. well, Greg, and I hear people also say, my suffering is my connection to the person I love that died. Yeah. And I'm always saying, you know, my, your connection is when you're living your life fully. Whoever yeah. you were with is, was full of life and, you know, living. And so, but they get caught up in the idea that the pain and the suffering is the connection. Do you see that? Yes, I do. And, and I think that's, that's a really... A real big challenge for people because in order to, to let that go because their pain is the way that they can feel very close to somebody but you know um, one of our politicians years ago here in Arkansas used to say you know if you're going to tell people to say no to something you have to give them something to say yes to mm -hmm. um, and I think there's that idea that people need to find other ways then to, to connect to change that relationship so it becomes one that doesn't have to burden them so much and they can still be connected but it doesn't have to be through that pain. 
and that's mm -hmm. suffering. And, and I would say um, early on, if people are watching this, that are newly bereaved, you are gonna have suffering and there's a, no way around it. Yeah. But as things move on, I think we're talking, there can be openings for you to suffer less and move move on in and find other ways to connect that are. Yeah. You know, that other idea that strikes me is, um, is that idea of forgiveness, you know, mm -hmm. for guilt. Because I think sometimes, you know, we can't let ourselves fully, you know, off the hook as much as would be helpful or we, we can't, there's no way that we can, we feel like we can pay enough of a debt, uh, pay it back. But we, there's ways that we can experience forgiveness, forgiveness for not being everything I wanted to be, forgiveness for being human and limited, you know, mm -hmm. forgiveness for not being able to, to uh, accomplish all that we wanted to, to help somebody out and, and be the kind of person and go back and fix it. And I had a, a dad who was um, a guy named Dave Beeble that I got to hear speak one time years ago. And he wrote a book called Jonathan, You Left Too Soon. And it was about his son who died. And, and uh, he wasn't responsible for his son's death. It was a, a complicated medical situation. But he felt responsible because he was a parent. And as, right. a parent, as a parent, your job is to help your kids grow up. And so if they don't in some way, then you feel like, wait, I didn't do something. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it really struck me when he said, uh, he was a, a Christian pastor and counselor, and he said that what I needed somebody to tell me was, because everybody said, you don't have to feel guilty, you don't need to feel guilty. He said, what I needed to hear from somebody was that I forgive you. And mm -hmm. what, what it struck me was that he needed a sense of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that some people have that through their faith tradition, that there's a way that they can experience forgiveness through there, which can be a great resource. So, yeah. so Greg, I have a question for you. Yeah. You had, you had two parents, both your parents died after various illnesses. I know your mom had cancer and your dad had pneumonia and mm -hmm. your father-in-law died by suicide. Yes. Is, was your grief process different based on the different ways that they died? Yes, I, I think so. You know, my father-in-law, sadly, um, I didn't get to know him very well. My wife and I had been married about a year and a half. He was a quiet man and... And so I had not had a lot of time. And so it was shocking. And so my experience, so much of my experience there was um, being somebody, seeing the suffering of my wife mm -hmm. and feeling helpless in that. And it really was one of an early lesson for me that, that there is a special kind of suffering to watch somebody you love suffer and know that you cannot take it away. Mm -hmm. um, and then and that, and that situation just came out of the blue. And that was, and that was part of the shock of it, is that nobody expected it. And in fact, my wife and I were the last two family members to see him the mm. night that he uh, killed himself and just never came home. Wow. And in my mother's case, you know, it was an anticipated death, and over a period of time, and um, and there were, while that was very sad and a burden, there was certainly there were some gifts in the middle of that because we had some time to talk and and. And she had some time to finish some of her business and and um, and reconnect to people and say some goodbyes and that was a one of those bittersweet kind of things. It was a, a blessing to have that opportunity, but certainly sad to lose her. And just with thinking about her yesterday as for for Mother's Day, because because mm -hmm. you know she was really truly was a great mother for us. And and with my dad, it was a little combination. He was 80, and so 80 year olds can sometimes get sick very quickly. You know, and he his health was was not great 
and he got sepsis and got sick very quickly and was in the hospital. And we had to, um, we had to come to the place to decide to take him off of life support. Oh, that's you know, well, we, we didn't have to do that, but we felt like that was, that was offered to us and it really felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we had had discussions with him before and, and where we could really hear his voice in our head saying, you know, it's, it's time to let me go. Mm-hmm. And that was a real great thing to have as an assurance. And yet even having that assurance and having my brothers and me all be on the same page, it was still remarkably heavy and difficult. Mm-hmm. And I really feel for those families where they don't haven't had any of those conversations and where they have where there's conflict about what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So you speak lovingly of your loved ones, but I wanted to mention an article that you wrote, a last one, which I love, which says, since nobody's perfect, may we speak ill of the dead. (laughs) Because Heidi and I are always saying, particularly with kids, Heidi, talk about the good one died, right? Yes. Um, You know, I'm a bereaved sibling, and my brother died at 17, so all of us siblings are always getting together at Compassionate Friends and saying, my brother and sister haven't done anything wrong for years they're perfect because you know they're dead they've been elevated to the status of god yes we can't compete with it no it's terrible to compete with somebody like that and you know i had a a situation happen one time at the hospital i was sitting with a family and it was very sad and this young boy was was dying and and um, the family we were all sitting around together and and somebody in the family said you know he was just too good for this world Mm-hmm. And his older brother was in the circle. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, to hear that, that this brother that they probably argued about, you know, it's my turn to watch the TV and play the video mm-hmm. games and stay out of my room and yeah. cook the last cookie and all the stuff that brothers would just normally do. Yeah. And, and to hear that and how unfair that was. But I do think that, that we, that there's that idea that, you know, you don't speak ill of the dead, which is really, again, a pretty lousy idea because I think we need to remember the whole person. And as much, for instance, as I mentioned, my mother, she was a great mother, but she also could play that guilt card as good as anybody I know. And, <laughs> and that was not her, her best side, but that was a part of her. Mm-hmm. And we loved her, of course, anyway, because that wasn't the whole part of her, but she was not perfect like anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I just heard something, Donna Sherman, who I'm sure you know, yes. was the executive director for the Dougie Center for 25 years and still works there. And she just said something to me, which I never thought of at ADAC. Mm-hmm. She said, we've got to stop saying, I heard that your loved one died. Because yeah. it leaves messages to children and that you have to have totally loved and adored the person that died. And sometimes relationships are complicated and ambivalent. And sometimes maybe the family member that died was abusive yeah. or was a, a not a nice person to the child I never thought of that before because I always say your loved one died I'm one of the people that does that yeah you know I think it's I think it's a great point and I appreciate that from Donna and I don't know where we got the idea maybe it may have been from Donna or some other folks that but years ago we intentionally decided to not use that language for our grief support groups and um, so we talk about kids who've had a family or member or friend die Mm -hmm. or sometimes we'll talk about somebody who is important in their life and um, because I think, just as you said, people's experiences are complicated. Yeah. And they can love somebody very much, and they can also sometimes resent somebody or hate somebody at the same time. We, we had a boy years ago who, he was, a, 
he was a middle schooler and his father died. And, and the way he described his father was his father was his best friend. His father was a person he depended, depended on most in, in the world. But as he talked, he was brave enough to also say that his father drunk himself to death and mm. was a racial bigot. And he didn't want to be a racial, you know, a racial bigot. And he didn't want to drink himself to death, but he wanted to be faithful to his father. Mm -hmm. And so he was struggling with how can I be like the good parts of my dad and not be burdened with those bad parts of my dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really respected him for how gutsy he was to really remember his whole dad. I love that. Sometimes our flaws are what makes us most human and makes yeah. those people close to us know who we really were. So I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's you're welcome. Fantastic having you on. And for people who are watching this, you can go to open to hope com and find Greg Adams and you can read more of these fabulous articles he writes for us. Well, it's a, it's a real privilege to be on this and it's also a privilege to be able to share writing, you know, with Open to Hope. Thank you for that. Thank you. And tell us uh, for people who live in your area, how they can get a hold of your center or get a hold of you. So the easiest, um, electronically, the thing to do would be to go to our website, which is good morning with a U, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, goodmorningcenter.org. And, and there you'd, you would find information about our program and how to contact us. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much, Greg. And thanks for everything that you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll look forward to seeing you at ADAC again next year. Excellent. I plan to be there. And thanks, everybody, for watching this uh, podcast today. And Heidi and I, and I'm sure Greg, want to remind everybody that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless.